Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. and welcome to the Ben Nevada's Podcast. Thanks for coming on today, Mr. Stephen. Today we have Stephen, who um, I am going to get to learn a little bit more about today. We have met around uh, Brian Called Station through um, some dance classes, I think, at one point, and then we've also met <laughs> through, um, oh, what was that thing we did? Uh, Wednesdays in the mornings, 9 a.m. Oh, uh, million cups. One million cups, yes. So we met over over there, and that was a good time. And uh, recently had a conversation about what he is doing with his his business and how it's um, I guess now where he is at with the new company he's with. Um, but he's he's lived a, a very interesting life where he's been able to have uh, his own business and was able to sell that uh, last year, I believe. And now here we are. So. Steven, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, thanks for having me. So walk me through what was it um, like having your own business? When did it start? What do you do? What kind of business is it? All those good things. Or was it? <laughs> okay. Well, um, my business was Tech Bundle. Um, I had it for just shy of 20 years. Um, I started it uh, right after uh, the internet bubble burst and 9-11 happened, um, uh, January, 2001, uh, or I guess January, 2002. And, um, and it was just because, uh, there were so many layoffs at the time I couldn't get a job. So I started an IT consulting business, uh, that turned into a managed service business uh, years later and, uh, built it up to about a $2 million revenue company. Um, and, uh, and last year sold out to a partner that I had brought on about, uh, six years prior. Um, and he, he's still running it and it's going strong. Uh, now I'm so. on to, uh, new and better things. <laughs> so if you can describe to me what type of business that is, I don't, I don't know very much about the tech world. So you said started off as mm -hmm. a IT consulting business and then moved from that into, um, a, a services. What mm -hmm. would you say? Um, managed service providing business. What does that so mean? So a managed service, managed service provider is, uh, the big difference is that we had monthly contracts with our clients, um, and we went in and rather than just coming in and fixing things when they broke, we were in charge of making sure they never broke and um, and became the entire IT department for those customers. So we provide them a CIO. We provide them with a help desk. Uh, if there was something that we physically didn't do ourselves, we managed the entire project for the customer as well. So if they needed anything from custom programming to uh, cables run for new construction, uh, we would manage those projects for the customers, but um, even though we weren't um, personally doing the work in all those cases. Hot damn. That's pretty damn involved. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I learned a lot. It was a lot of fun. So we, so. we've gone from there to now. Um, the, tell me about the business you currently work for. 
Okay. So the business I work for now, I'm, uh, I'm the CTO for a company called Hire Dragons. Uh, we do brand ambassador and event staffing, um, which means that, um, uh, for brand ambassador work, what the, mostly what we're doing is, um, uh, alcohol tastings and, uh, liquor stores all across the U S from, uh, everywhere from Seattle down to Miami, uh, New Jersey, all over Texas. Um, and when a brand needs, um, someone to go do one of those tastings, they hire us to fulfill that. Um, and we go in and provide, uh, a platform for brand ambassadors to get on and find those jobs that are near them. And, um, and kind of like the, uh, the Uber for brand ambassadors is <laughs> just one way to look at it. Um, that is a really cool, fun so, way to look at it. And definitely I feel like something that is a growing business and something that I think is really, you know, fun, cool, gets people out there. And, um, it, it just, it seems like a fun idea. Uh, it's a, a great idea. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't know about that type of work when I was in college, but I mean, you, you go and you do, hand out the tastings, you get to take the alcohol home in most cases, if, if the state allows it, Texas does. Um, and so you work for like three hours. I mean, we have, we have, uh, people making $120 for three hours worth of work and they take home the, the leftover alcohol, uh, that they, they were giving away. So that's a pretty darn good deal. Wish I would have known about it when I was in college. <laughs> right, a lot of a lot of money have, would have been saved and made, and yeah, it would have definitely been fit, fit a good schedule. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the good things. Uh, definitely a, a better option than just being a a, a person at HB, a cashier or something, working that two dollars and sixty seven cent job where, where uh, as a waiter or waitress. Right, uh, I think back then I was a a pizza delivery driver. So, damn you've yeah. you've you, so how many different jobs did did you to go through to oh, find wow. the first one you finally had? Like, what was your journey like to get to finally starting your own company? So, so before that, I actually was a computer programmer mostly, um, and between computer programming jobs, uh, when I was younger, I would. Or while I was doing those, sometimes when I was younger, I would also do pizza delivery. Uh, that was a pretty good gig in college because you got to bring home, you close the night, you bring home pizza. So free food as a college kid um, and um, plus making um, okay money. And then I would do that on after uh, leaving my day job of uh, programming. Um, and um, but I started programming right out of high school. I got a job offer um, in Florida, went there for about three months, came back uh, to Texas and uh, went to school part time for about three years before I quit uh, and then just kept programming uh, up until I started my own business in 2002. So um, and now what I do is manage computer programmers. It's a a little bit different than what I've been doing with my tech bundle business, but uh, it's more back to the roots of what I was doing when I first got started in computer, computer work. 
program just seems so difficult to understand from someone who's an outside perspective, not never being involved in that. It's, it's an entirely different language. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's, your brain has to work a very particular way for, I think, to, to be involved with that and also be interested enough to stare at a computer for that long and then have the understanding that one little thing goes wrong. You have to go through all this, this program, this, this code to, to fix the thing. And sometimes it's something as simple as a space or a letter or whatever it may be. It just seems in like insanity. <laughs> so what's funny is, you know, when I was growing up, the, and I look back and the best programming uh, lesson I ever got was when I was in, um, I believe kindergarten or first grade. And this was before computers were in the classroom. Um, and these two high school kids came in and they sat in front of the class and they said, um, okay, I want to, they wanted the whole class to pretend they were aliens and we were going to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they had a jar of peanut butter and jelly up there and a loaf of bread and a knife. And we had to describe everything about it to these aliens because they didn't know. So it was the perfect example of what programming is actually like. It was like, you had to tell them to take the jar, uh, the lid off. Otherwise they would just pound the knife the wrong way on top of the jar. When you said, put it in the jar, uh, they did exactly what you told you, what you told them to do. But yeah, it was a funny little, um, uh, uh, I guess skit or whatever the high schoolers were doing, but I look back on it and it was the absolute best lesson for what programming is really like. And it's really just breaking a whole bunch of, uh, tasks down into their very simple, small components. And so it's a lot uh, less um, uh, difficult than most people think if you can just break it down into the tiny pieces. And so that's a fun way to look at it. Uh, it like, that's definitely, it helps that the analogy helps me kind of understand the simplicity of it. I mean, it, it just, it seems much more intense from an outside perspective, but if it literally just is being the most direct and just detail oriented, which requires a very detail oriented person, then I mean, that sounds like something that more people could probably partake in than I think I initially assumed. It is. And most people just think it's something, some type of wizardry or something because it's on a computer. Um, and, um, and it seems like, you know, we have to know something super uh, fancy, but uh, all programming breaks down into that basic breaking it down into simple logic and breaking uh, and then just learning whatever syntax, the whatever computer language you're programming uh, in needs to do that. So what do you program uh, with? And so it's just describing out the objects uh, in our current stuff. We're programming in PHP and SQL. Um, and uh, so it's all web based. Uh, language. Um, what's funny is uh, being out of the actual programming for 20 years. Um, the last language I programmed in was PHP before coming back to this one and, you know, seeing how much it had changed. And now I manage the programmers um, and I can still get in there and uh, do the debugging and help them with that. But day to day programming, uh, the young guys that work for me, they're much better at it and faster at it than I am. Um, I can muddle my way through, but they, they do it a lot faster and better than I do. Um, How does something change? What, what does that mean? Like it, it's changed so much, but and 
why has it changed? What what looks different? Is it the platform itself, or just what what involved? Why is it different? Uh, so, so there's uh, the history, uh, you know, the history of the web over the last twenty years. We have a much uh, a stronger need for security now. We have a, a lot of different layers to it. We have a, there's a lot more tools now to make things easier to develop faster. Uh, that ne- didn't exist when I was doing this 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, you know, right before the first internet bubble burst, everything was brand new. So if you needed a templating system or you needed um, a, a way to make things faster, you had to make that or um, and, and kind of throw all these pieces together. So, uh, so just you know, as fast as the internet has changed, you figure 20 years ago. Uh, when we're talking about you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have all these uh, great, um, the internet just wasn't what it is today. Still, uh, most of the people back then were still using dial-up. So uh, a lot's changed in what the internet's capable of. So therefore you have a lot more layers of what, when you're programming on it now. So whenever you're programming using PHP, it, it communicates mm-hmm. with uh, the internet as a platform and then uses whatever integrations you have uh, rather than um, a, I, I wish you could use a, 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 maybe Python. Would Python be something that's um, not on uh, using a web-based, is it not web-based platform? And uh, Python is another computer programming language uh, uh, and it is mostly used in for internet um, based programming and PHP can be used for programming. That's not internet based as well, but it's primarily used for that. Uh, Python is another language that that's commonly used now um, for that, but it's also used a lot for just doing text edit uh, manipulation or data manipulation as well. Uh, So Python is just another tool that could be used, but we're just not using it right now. So then what's the benefit of using PHP versus something like Python? I think your connection is going in and out. That or mine is. Hello. Hey, I can hear you. Cool. Are we good? I cannot see you anymore. <laughs> That's unfortunate. I think we are. I can. I'm hearing you now. Are you hearing me? Okay. Yeah, I hear you. All right. So what? Why would somebody do um, Python versus PHP? What what are the, what are the the benefits of one over the other? Uh, usually, it's what you're comfortable with, what you've learned uh, is, uh, and what the um, what the people hiring you want you to do uh, and use. Uh, but I would say if you're uh, uh, Python's when it, or at least when it originally came out, was mostly to do quick, simple uh, data manipulations. Like you wanted to just change the uh, the format of a whole bunch of data real quick. Uh, that, I think that's what it initially was used for. Um, it's uh, it's not really a language I've I've played with much. Um, I know, uh, but I know a lo- uh, it started as a simpler 
programming language for people that just wanted to get involved and get started. So, my dog's hanging out with us today. <laughs> so, you've seen the industry grow and change quite a little bit from from starting out with dial up. What was it like programming back then versus what it looks like now? I know obviously that there's the the internet differences, but you, you just the this this hardware itself has evolved quite a little bit since you've, you've been involved. So how have those things changed and what does it do differently? Well, I would say that the, the biggest change is the, um, uh, you know, back then everything was uh, meant to run on the computer that, uh, that you're sitting in front of. Whereas now most, uh, most software these days is run, out there on a server somewhere, and then you're just seeing a portal to it. Um, and I mean, you still do have software on your computer. Obviously, a lot of people have like Microsoft Word, Microsoft Office, but just as many also have uh, Google Docs, which you know they use all completely online. Uh, so I think that's the biggest difference. Is back then it was uh, very much um, contained, and you didn't have um, the the ability to interconnect as easily as what we've got now. A lot and of these almost things demanded now that everything's interconnected. And so you used to, I, I used to have to pay for, and I have to pay for, for Microsoft word office, but I don't have to pay for Google drive. How does a company continue to exist when I'm not ever you paying for this service? Um, so so how does like Google Drive and Google Docs uh, make money since you're Correct. not paying for the product? Is that the question? Uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, for them. It's very easy. They um, Google Docs is there as a way to um, allow them to get your eyeballs on them, and then uh, whatever you're um, working on, they. Um, they can uh, use the data of where you're at. Like the fact that you're working on that um, a document is uh, is the start. But after when you try to take your business to a, a, another level, uh, you actually are paying for Google Docs and um, and Google Sheets. Uh, if you run on the um, Google platform, you're going to pay. Um, uh, I think it's like ten dollars a month per employee uh, to be able to have everyone using the same library or, or folder structure and being able to use Google docs and Gmail and all that, all those things that were initially free. If you want to use them in a business with more than five employees, then you're um, you're, you're going to pay for that. And in fact, I think now if you want to use it in business at all, you pretty much are paying for it. I don't think they have a plan for, for it being, completely free anymore, um, for a business, um, and to use it with like your domain name. Um, so okay. uh, well, there is a charge for it. Yeah. That's information I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have, that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, so is that something that right. y'all use? What, what would be, what would be like, should I use that? I, mean, I guess it's like I mean, moving forward in my own company, my own business versus I know that people are like, no, I would never use Google. I'm only ever going to use, um, anything that has to do with Mac or, or Apple because of the, the security benefit Apple. of being with Apple. Um, is there, I mean, right. how do you feel about 
using it for your own so company? So it depends. So we use in my current company. We use the Google Google Suite. Uh, in my last company, we were completely Microsoft, um, and um, and uh, we do. And we used to have customers that uh, had Apple, all Apple computers, and um, and ran either one of the two, as far as you know, which uh, because Apple doesn't make a um, a competitive um, word processor and spreadsheet. They have them, but they're not really truly competitive. Um, and so, uh, but what we would tell our customers when I was at tech bundle is picking the one that is going to work with everything else you do is the most important. So if you have a small business that doesn't require, um, a big software program to manage your whole business that has to have, uh, that, uh, you need to integrate. So say you're a lawyer's office and you run a, a software that manages all your documents for you and manages all your customers, almost 99% sure that that software is going to integrate with uh, Microsoft Word before it integrates with Google Docs. Now, it may do both, but it's definitely going to integrate with uh, Microsoft Word. And if you had to add on another product to manage with that, it's also always going to manage or integrate with Microsoft um, products because everyone's going to make their software work with Microsoft first. Then they're going to make it work with Google. Then they're going to make it work with whatever other um, products are out there. Um, And same is true when you're talking about phones is you can almost bet that every um, cell, if you're talking about writing an application for a phone, you write it first for uh, iPhone because the market out there is for, uh, iPhone devices. And you know, those are, um, that your system is going to work. So we would tell our customers go all Microsoft. Um, but if you wanted to, uh, have a, a system that worked off, uh, like had tablets for all of your employees or had phone applications for all your employees, then you should make sure all your employees had Apple products. So, uh, a, an iPhone or an iPad, because those were, easier to manage. They're going to be more likely to um, work with any software that you're using. And if there, if you ever had to change softwares, you wouldn't have to throw that hardware out and buy new hardware um, because you can almost guarantee that it's going to be the work for it. So it's all dependent on what your the size of your company, what you're trying to achieve and what you're currently already having to work with um, on making those decisions. That's kind of cool. Do you work a lot with like construction companies or have you ever worked with construction companies? Oh yeah, all the time. We used to work with several construction companies and oil field companies uh, in my old company. What do are they the are they a combination? I mean, I, obviously, I guess between the two, there's probably variances between the two. But Apple products, I would assume, for construction companies is a is a better bet because they're out in the field uh, so much on the tablet and in the well in the field. Yes, if you and this is also dependent on the type of software you're using. There's some certain bidding softwares that I would say are probably better on an an actual um, uh, Windows ma- machine. Um, and if you're using those, then I would go with that. But if you're talking about uh, construction guys that are uh, just simply clocking in and out and filling out um, basic paperwork that ties back into uh, 
the software back home, that's almost always going to be uh, a platform that's going to work best on Apple. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you can lock those machines down so that if you give all your guys iPads, they can't run anything but the iPad software, uh, like the software that, and um, because the companies that didn't lock those down in construction, for some reason, uh, uh, they just kept coming up missing. But the moment you lock them down where their kids can't play with them when they take them home, they always seem to be uh, available. <laughs> So, yeah, so definitely in construction, I would say, you know, having someone that can set that up and manage it um, correctly. Apple is usually the best um, solution. But again, it's going to be dependent on what software you're using back at the office and what they require and what they want um, to make it work uh, and talk back. Um, But our first pick was always to go Apple um, in that case. But then on the desktop, we would tell everyone they needed to have uh, Windows machines um, because that tended to be the um, the best case. And in a large construction company, it's not necessarily which is the cheapest. It's what's the total cost of ownership and um, and what you're looking for for the long term is like if that computer's down, how much are you losing? Um, and so, yeah, let's we're going to spend three hundred extra dollars on. Uh, selling you this computer now, but you're going to have less problems with it overall. And it's actually going to get the work done faster if you, um, if you spend that money and so things like that. Um, I didn't realize there was so much. I didn't realize there was so much intention behind this. What seems like minor or small things that can make a difference on how the the long-term growth and and functioning of a, of a company. It's, it's, Kind of really wild. I, I always assume that it's just like, oh, okay, we just like we like Apple, so Apple just makes sense of what we're going to use. But it's fun to yep. learn that there's actually no there's there's a functionality, there's a benefit to using this versus that, and and depends on the location and um, and what you're looking and how far you're looking to grow the company. It's kind of freaking crazy. <laughs> So what's interesting in the new job I'm in, we're a much smaller company and everyone just works on their own machines and everything. And we just work through a a web interface and that works for a company this size. But even this company, I'm starting to have to put in uh, standardizations because we're starting to grow to the size where standards make more sense. It's like, okay, everyone has to be using this one browser when they use stuff just so that if there's any problems, we know exactly, we get used to what the uh, the little hiccups are and we can tell any new employees immediately what it is. And we're not having to relearn that just because they happen to try to use Firefox or Microsoft Edge or something like that. Um, it's like, now, every, if you're going to do, you can do everything else you want at home on whatever browser you want, but if you're doing work, you need to be using this. And making those standardizations makes everything um, run smoother as your company starts breaking, um, and anywhere from 10 to 20, that becomes a, uh, of employees that starts to become extremely important and being very intentional about what you're buying becomes more and more important that, um, that you're picking, um, something that is the same throughout, uh, throughout the whole system. Um, so, so you don't get half the people trying to use the, uh, 
the phone uh, the phone app on Apple and half the people trying to use it on a, an Android, that's that's a really bad practice. Is you're just asking for more money to be spent on supporting all that. So, so do you consider the the ambassadors employees as well? And do you make them use specific um, browsers or, or material that would uh, make have that standardizations? I wish I could, <laughs> but no, we don't. Uh, they're 1099 contractors. So the ambassadors, which we refer to as dragons, uh, by the way, that's part of the higher dragons um, uh, name. There's, we consider the, the, dra- uh, the ambassadors dragons, but uh, we have to deal with those issues inside our own companies. Um, and in fact, we just rolled out a new feature. Uh, and one of the biggest things uh, it, when a dragon gets on, they check in that they're at the location. Um, and the biggest problem we've had with rolling that out is uh, it doesn't work on iPhone 6 version, iOS version 11.2 or whatever. I, just making up numbers now, but you know, but it works fine on the brand new iPhone 11 um, with uh, iOS 15. Uh, it's, it's uh, those are the you types of really issues that, uh, to, after we rolled that out. You can't really force people to buy new phones. Buy. <laughs> exactly. And so we have to deal with, uh, deal with those issues. And, um, and, and, and so when we roll out a feature like that, that's very dependent or, on uh, hardware, we um, have to spend a few weeks uh, just ironing out all the little bugs on something like that. Um, and so, which, you know, for most people, they're like, well, why doesn't it work? It's like, because, you know, this is the process <laughs> of computers. And that doesn't seem like a small task. That seems, I mean, you said a couple of weeks to work on a couple of different bugs, but I feel like those are some pretty intense like to go and try to figure out how to make this new this program that I've already written to work on a older device, it seems like that would be quite a complex task. Uh, it is. There's still some standardization that we can look at, um, and we do have some testing platforms that allow us to test for the most common stuff before we even roll out to prevent having to. Um, have major issues, but, um, you know, everything is, uh, you know, we get so used to that. It's, uh, in, in this day and age that it's just, I press a button and I, I say, get, and I have now have the software on my computer or on my phone. And that's all, that's about all there is to it now. Um, but there's a lot going on in the background and every machine is different. And, you know, uh, as much as, you know, everything is there for people to have automatic updates to keep everything tried and be standardized. Most people, a lot of people don't use those. And, um, and there are a lot of people that don't want to upgrade their phone every two years um, or every year, depending, you know, uh, because they're just not that concerned about if they've got the latest and greatest technology. Um, and there are some people that don't upgrade their phone until that one physically dies. And that can sometimes be six years. And then, um, uh, in technology terms, that's that's been dead for three years. <laughs> oh, <So>. damn! <laughs> are mm-hmm. you a are you a buying every year kind of guy? 
Uh, I'm a buy every other year type of guy, actually. Um, unless there's some extremely um, uh, good reason for me to like a new feature of a phone that I would I would want to. I'm not the type to go stand in line at Apple for my new iPhone. Um, I'll wait uh, until the new version's been out a little while, make sure that all the major issues with whatever the new product is, is out. And then I'll go get a new one. Uh, now my personal laptop and that I'm, uh, about a three year guy. Um, and, um, so that's typically what I, I like to do on my, uh, laptop or my desktop computers three to four years. Um, and so, I had my, my, I finally got this new laptop and I, I just bought a, a MacBook. And before this one, I had purchased a, uh, I guess two laptops ago, I had a, an Alienware that I just, I felt, I don't know, I had an emotional connection to. And I kept that right. laptop for probably like eight years. And it was the worst thing to like, to use. It was just not. <laughs> moving fast and i was like no, no no like i really want to hold on to this thing and i finally got a new laptop and i was like holy shit stuff is so much better now insanely better <laughs> yeah and um and now th- the nice thing about alienware is um is that it is a gaming type uh laptop uh that's what they do so that laptop probably w- easily lasted four or five years uh, as far as still being operational, uh, it, it was slower than anything new. As long as you weren't trying to play games on it after about three years, you would be fine. Um, but it was definitely not playing the games like it used to after probably the second year. <laughs> so. Damn. It, it was, it's just, it's crazy that all this software continues to advance. And then I'm just, you know, people are left. Like, it's, a, it's not a small investment, that, that computer. And it's, if you want, no. it, you also don't have to get the newest and greatest thing. But if you, if you wanted to make it a profession, you wanted to be a, a streamer, right? And you're really trying to like be competitive and do the whole thing, then you're having to chunk out some change there to keep up with the advances of softwares and, and gaming systems and then make sure your hardware is able to, to keep up with that kind of power. It just seems extremely expensive. Like it can be. Uh, it can definitely get that way. Uh, it definitely can be. I mean, but if all you're doing is, I mean, doing streaming is obviously very intensive, uh, but if your most computer work is pretty simple data entry type work, and those com- type of computers can last a little bit longer, they don't, they're not being pushed to their limits. You know, my computers, I push them to the limits because I'm playing games on them or I'm, um, I'm trying out new, new software, different type of stuff that I uh, want to tinker with or, you know, play with. So like, uh, you know, next week I might download a, a 3d animation software just for the fun of it, play with it for um, uh, a weekend and then uh, never reopen it. Uh, But that takes a lot of computer power when you want to do stuff like that. And I don't like not being able to do something if I choose to do it. So I spend a little bit extra (laughs) to have what what will work. Um, And so, yeah. uh, I like that your hobbies are to, to find softwares and to play with them. Like that, that's, it's just, it, that seems fun. It seems relaxing. It seems like, you can create your own little world on uh, this crazy little device that has so much power and impact and has changed everything about the way our world works now. And I feel like it's so 
it, it's in our faces and we can just recognize, oh, it's right here. This is, it just is what it is. But if you kind of like take, take a step back and look at it, you're like, oh my God, like this thing is really changed the way all of this works. And in quite a short Absolutely. period of time. Yeah. And um, it, I, you know, I like to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, the, you know, last 20, 30 years of what's changed well, since um, I've been really got into to all of this and um, and well, basically graduating high school and getting in, getting into the work environment the last 30 years um, and how far we've come. And I spent a lot of time looking at, OK, well, w- what's coming next? You know, uh, the computer now it used to be such a mystery. And now, you know, toddlers are walking around doing more than we I could with my old uh, Tandy color computer um, that, uh, you know, I was playing with at home. Uh, and uh, the uh, the thing I, you know, the, I like to look at is like, well, what's that next thing? And, you know, I look at it and I see things like robot robots, you know, they don't seem that intrusive right now, but I'll, I would, um, say that the robotics field is exactly where we were with the personal computer in the 1980s. So think about that. That means in less than 30 years, robots will be doing all those crazy things we think about that robots should be doing, like going and picking up groceries, doing the dishes, um, cleaning the house and, uh, you know, everything from way back when we watched them in the, you know, the cartoon, the Jetsons and everything uh, when I was a kid, that that's all going to be a reality. I mean, and there are already, you already start to see some of these things um, from the Roomba that's simply doing um, the the vacuum cleaning in your house. That seems, uh, it, it seems like that's such a far leap, but then look what the PC was in 1980, the, the home computer was in 1980, and look at, you know, what you're carrying around in your hand every day. Um, and so I really have a lot of fun just, thinking those things out, self-driving cars and all that, that's, um, it, it's, we're looking at a, a very exciting next 20, 30 years too. And I, um, and I think that's, um, that's where all the fun's going to be. <laughs> I think the fun in, in the personal computer was during the eighties and ninety or in the nineties and two thousands. Um, that's when it was all revolutionary and now it's kind of gotten more mainstay, um, but we're going to start seeing that with uh, robots um, and artificial intelligence. And then, you know, virtual reality that I think that will be a bit, bit slower to uh, take a tick up, but um, not far off. I think it's just, um, it hasn't gotten to the level that a robotics have yet. Why do you think that VR is behind robotics? Because, uh, robotics have been out since the sixties and seventies. Um, and VR, um, got its start in the, in the nineties. Um, so it's still got a long ways to go to, uh, before it has its candlestick of, uh, of mainstay. It's still got a lot of mind share to grab. Uh, and it's probably going to take, um, uh, most of, um, my generation getting to the point where we're, uh, we're, uh, 
that we're no longer the majority that all the, the gen of the millennials and the Gen Z um, have overtaken us completely and number and whatever, and whatever we're going to call the next generation um, starts to become the mainstay because there's a lot to overcome to, for that. But my generation is not going to have any problems with um, robotics and the technology is a lot further along in history as for it has a, a longer lifespan to it than what VR has. Um, so I think it's further off than most people uh, think it is. Um, but, and only by 10, 20 years. Um, but still, that's quite a bit when you're talking about in the technology world. A little bit of maybe a deviation here, but I think it's super cool that you, I feel like your, your generation was born in like you guys had the right timing of all of it. I mean, you guys got the right time to see the evolution of of humanity and what it's become now. Like you guys got to skip out on. I mean, you still definitely had some more stuff there, but like not. I don't know. Not even, maybe some big stuff. Whatever. I just feel like y'all had had a uh, the the cool at least maybe in the technology world the coolest opportunity to see all of it go and grow from then and then in the next 20 30 years you're still gonna be you're still gonna be around you're still gonna be able to see these things you're gonna see the entire evolution from from big ass computers to who knows right the robotics the ai the if i don't know it it seems weird to think that we're gonna have (laughs) robots cleaning our house and going to get groceries but if if that's the reality we get to see that then you guys like really came away in the right the right spot uh, I, th- I think we all, if we look back in history, that every generation has a, a bit of that. But I th- definitely think we are uh, we're seeing a very unique one uh, in the in the com- in compute um, era. Um, you know, if we go back to uh, my grandparent or great grandparents, you know, they were very much in that uh, revolution of uh, of transportation. You figure the before. You know, the big transportation when they were uh, my great grandparents was, uh, you know, we, they went from the train to having cars to having airplanes um, being all forms of transportation. Uh, so uh, that was a huge, massive change in, in society as well. And I think if you, you could probably go back and find all those things and um, and everyone would say, man, it would have been so cool to be just getting into cars and, you know, Oh, when they were in the twenties, uh, when, you know, when they were just becoming the big thing, um, and everyone was everyone, when they became a household type thing, uh, that would have been a great time to be in that. Um, and then we had it again with my, you know, the internet and, you know, and now robotics, I think is that's, that's where we're at right now. Uh, this generation of Gen Zers, they're going to see this all with, uh, all this stuff happen with robots. They'll be uh, completely changing the world. I mean, uh, the a fast food restaurant like McDonald's and Taco Bell is just going to be an oversized vending machine. It's not going to have any employees in it. Um, and that's just the way it's going to go. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, that's not a, a bad thing. That's going to open up a change, a, a whole lot of things in our society. Uh, it'll take um, all those menial jobs and it'll make a, uh, a new need of, uh, of, I believe, art and entertainment. 
I think we're going to have a huge surge in the arts and entertainment. And I think we are already seeing that with what you're doing. Uh, and it's not going to be the old idea of art and entertainment in the sense that some, you know, we'll have a lot of that, but it's going to be, we're already seeing it. It's content providers. The, um, all you, all you guys doing podcasts and, um, and, uh, streaming and all these things, this is a new art platform and you're making a living at it. Um, a lot of people are, and, uh, that's going to be where, uh, or we're already seeing, uh, a problem in the job market because so many of the new generation are willing to make it off of what they can make off of what content um, creation they can do. So why go get a, 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 you know, a traditional job if they can make their money that way. And, and it's hurting the job market because we expected all those uh, young people to come fill these jobs that my parents are leaving and my generation is even starting to leave. Um, And they're not there because they're doing content creating, which is art and entertaining and all of that. And I think we're going to see a big surge in it. I think we're going to see a a huge um, artistic uh, renaissance type thing coming in the next 20 years. And your take on that, when we initially talked about it over over, uh, on the first Friday, kind of opened my eyes a lot a bit. It just, your, your take on it seemed to be very, very well thought out and very likely. And, uh, it was both very, um, very, I don't know if inspiring is the right word, um, but we're going to go and go with it. So it was both very inspiring and kind of. Fear, fear kind of give me some fear as well. It's like, okay, then what, what is what is the world going to look like? What what like this this construction manager job is that gonna? What is what is that role going to look like in twenty years? Is it going to exist? Or I feel like drivers we know are are not like um, uh, commercial drivers are not likely going to to going to exist. It's safer to have um, self driving trucks, but what about all these other things that I think are necessary? Cause I don't know any other, any other option. Um, so both, I think exciting, but also a little, um, stressful. If you, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's so many things that will happen and in different industries, we'll take them on at different rates. Construction probably will be one of the slower to pick up on, some of it um, in a management position that probably is not going to go away as much as um, now you're going to be not only managing people, but you're going to be managing uh, uh, robots as well, or a, a service that provides a robot for putting up drywall or laying the uh, foundation that the, the actual work will be done by the robots with someone programming it or managing it. And then you still need a, an, someone to oversee it. Robots um, are still long ways from being multi-purpose um, jobs, which is what a human um, overcomes. Um, is that we can uh, be 
good or good enough at multiple jobs as opposed to a robot, which can be exact and perfect every time at one job. Um, and uh, now there is some flexibility with that, but um, it's still still limited to uh, what a robot's going to be able to, you know, the type of task that they're going to be able to replace humans for, but it's going to be more the, um, you know, this one particular job um, and everything around that uh, swinging a hammer. You could probably program uh, a, um, a a robot easily to do, do that better. One, they wouldn't even have to swing the hammer. They could, you know, <laughs> they just push the nails right in. Um, but uh, the, there's, uh, so that might change there, uh, but you're still going to need the managers for a long time. And then at the same time, you got to remember the other technologies that are going on um, and advancing. Uh, so space um, colonization is going to be hitting about the same time as the robots start doing more and more work on the, on here on earth. And you want in space when you're colonizing and you don't know what you're going to um, run into, you want humans. You want people that can adapt quickly and don't have to be reprogrammed. They just adapt and do. So when you're talking about, um, you know, everything from, the, at first, just um, hotels in space for travel to colonization of Mars. Um, and we all know this is coming. I mean, it used to be that that was science fiction, but I don't think anyone doubts that there will be a day that we're going to have, a, a, you know, a million people living on Mars. That just, um, you know, that's, I think that's pretty much understood at this point in history uh, that that we're already, we've already got all the technology to do it. We just got to go out and do it. <laughs> so, um, and so those things, it, they're just going to move around where um, the, uh, and you start adding all that, all the little pieces together. And um, yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't be scared about it. I would just um, be open to the change that you may have to adjust um, the way, um, the, what you're managing. And you, like you're saying, uh, if you're a construction manager, what you're managing and look for, um, okay. And be aware of how soon can, does it make financial sense for me to stop hiring people to put up drywall and hire a robot service that all they do is drywall service because they're going to have less waste. They're going to spend less time doing it. No one's going to call in sick um, and, uh, they're just going to come in and do the service will come in, put up all the drywall and we start using a dry, uh, a robotic service instead of hiring people to do that particular job. And, um, and just being very on very much on the lookout for that, um, because that's, what's going to make you competitive and keeping that, uh, manager position is watching those technologies and being able to implement them at the right time when it makes sense. Um, probably not going to make sense the day they invent the machine, but, um, you know, there is going to be a, a point where it's obviously going to be cheaper and faster. Someone's going to have to try it out. Someone's going to take that first leap with that, that, that yep. 1.0 version and have to spend a shit ton of money to figure <laughs> out one, how to manage it. And then two, all the, all the 
nuances that are going to be wrong with the machine when it first comes out, right? Um, when does it stop? When does it cut? How does it know with different floor plans? Like all these little things that I think are def- they're, they're programmable. Um, it's just introducing all that new information to this computer that doesn't know what to do, right? And then this with this guy who doesn't know really how to manage it initially, probably, um, and then how to troubleshoot on the job site, right? I think that's what's going to make me into a better, if I end up sitting in the construction management role, um, that's what's going to make me the better person. How fast can I troubleshoot this robot because it is cutting sheetrock too short or whatever, whatever it may be? Um, and then I don't, I don't know if that's something like your um, the previous company that you had sold. If that was going to be in, like, is is that the service that that's going to continue to exist? Be, and then I would be like, hey, Steve, I I don't know what's going on sure. with this thing. Can you help me out here? And you can just access it from wherever you are. Well, much like you do now, you hire a um, a subcontractor for each trade. You hire a plumber to come in and plumb the house. Uh, I don't I, honestly, I don't know what you're building, but if if you're building houses, you hire a yep. plumber to come in and plumb the house. You hire an electrician to come in and wire the house. Uh, and um, and you really don't care if he's using humans or robots. You just got to be look out, looking out for the guy that um, says, oh, we're using robots. We're going to be 50% cheaper because we're using a robot. And it's all on him. And you're going to expect him to be able to handle all that. Now, if you were a specific trade, then you would need to know how to troubleshoot those machines. But it's a matter of, okay, when when those uh, when that guy comes up to you, is like, well, how many of these jobs have you done? What's your backup plan if this doesn't work? Um, the first few times, you're going to want to know, do you have a crew that can come in and do it by hand if you uh, if your machine decides not to work? Um, and you know, and they're by the time they, these companies come out, that's most of those um, bugs are going to be worked out. But um, and they're still and and now to do drywall, what you're going to have is you're going to have some geeky kid that comes in and says, oh, no, I put this machine in the middle of the room. It laser measured everything. And we've already got this precisely measured and the robot knows exactly where to put everything um, and down to that. It's never going to miss a stud when it hits when it um, puts a nail in. It's uh, like I was saying, it's going to it's going to know exactly how many sheets uh, to use because you're not going to have shortages because it's got a better idea than even your plans do of exactly what the size of that room is because of the sensors and everything. And and all this stuff I'm talking about, all those sensors and all that technology technically already exists. And it's just somebody hasn't packaged it as a service yet and gone out and done it. As far as I know, I'm not in that world. Maybe somebody is doing it and I just don't know about it. <laughs> I want to so. know the person that's doing it. I think it exists in like the cars, right? There, there's all sorts of sensors and, and manufacturing plants. I'm sure there's a mm-hmm. lot of sensors that exist. There is a, a company that I, I attempted to interview with that sold, um, they, like, they sold sensors and they just did a shit ton of different types of sensors. They did all the ones for Tesla and several other um, big companies. And so, I mean, they definitely exist. I mean, that it's a reality that's out there. It's just not something that I feel like is is talked about all the time because I mean, it's just not it's not typical conversation, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and but there are. Uh, so we were talking about the Roomba earlier. There are robotic um lawnmowers that you can get uh you can go online buy them off amazon right now and they basically work like a roomba uh but for your yard 
Um, well, there are companies in that are already have started where you don't buy the robot. You just pay for a service. Like I pay for lawn care service at my house and, um, and they come in, they install the robot and, uh, they say, call us if there's any problems. Uh, and then they come <laughs> back so and do great. regular maintenance on it here and there. Um, and, and they can be competitive against the guys that are mowing my lawn right now because they're not rolling a truck with, um, all those guys, I'm not having to spend uh, the multiple thousand dollars to buy the robot myself. And if it breaks, I just call these guys and tell them, hey, for some reason, my grass is getting long. What's going on? Uh, and then they send roll out a new robot or, and fix that one or whatever they're doing. Those companies already exist, uh, but we don't hear about them on a day to day basis. Um, but there are already those companies already exist. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's not um, companies out there already doing some of this robotic um, construction work that we're talking about that um, and they're just often a part of the world that we don't know about, or um, we just haven't seen them yet. I think it makes me really excited. The technology is already there. I, I, I love this. And it makes me think that the fitness industry is going to end up being one that I don't think robots will be able to, um, be inside of because it's physical fitness. We need, it is the intention is to move our bodies. And then if we're not, um, if we're not, this is so cool. If you, if you're not having people who are out there doing the labor anymore, more people are sitting down getting, getting fat like me. It's like you, you have to have people who are dedicated to helping people stay fit and healthy. And so I think the fitness industry could really benefit massively um, from the, the, the introduction of more robots, which is kind of cool. Yes. Uh, I think so. I think inside the actual fitness industry in your bigger gyms, they might use robots to, they'll use robots of course, for cleaning and for, uh, but also to make it, make it safer, um, to have a telepresence of, uh, someone like yourself that does can do training uh, th- now, instead of being limited to being working at one gym, you can rent um, the use of a robot at uh, any gym in the in the world, and you can train anyone in the world and be there with them and spot them and sh- and look at them and help them in, in a telepresence sense. That's um, that's something that would be possible too. So it's going to open up new Steven. doors. Uh, but the technology <laughs> is all there. Uh, you know, the, you know, some of the robotics there that I, I'm stretching a little bit of the, some of those robotics, but not, not too far, um, about what's already out there. Um, there are robotic telepresence. Now they don't have the arms to, to, um, to do the spotting portion of what I just said, but everything else is already out there and being used in the, in, in the world, um, and healthcare and in office spaces already. So, um, the, but the way happening the in such is- small world places that most people don't see it yet. And that's why I say it's exactly where we were in the eighties and, and the personal computer when my dad was telling me that's just a toy and no one's ever going to use that as a serious thing. And you're just playing and wasting all your time on that computer all day. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what Look my dad now, used to tell man. me in the 80s. <laughs> and and what's funny is I remember him saying, you'll never see me get on one of those things. And now you can't get them off his computer. <laughs> and unfortunately, you can't get them off Facebook either. So. 
<laughs> that is so that's so good. Oh. I mean, how how the turns table. Uh God, I love it. Um <laughs> so stuff like Facebook and stuff like that, I I'm interested to hear what you think. I'll have another before that. Um what does robots and what does that do for the industry you're currently in for the brand ambassadors? I mean, I think you're always going to need, you're always going to have sales of some sort. You need the sales person. Um, right. And that's what this brand ambassador is. And so does it, I don't, does, I don't thinking out loud. I don't think it goes away. I think it, it helps your business. Uh, yeah. So our business is uh, very personal um, and, uh, you have to physically be there to taste something uh, and for the brand ambassador. And it's actually, I think it's going to open up more on the event staffing side. It's going to have more and more events because as, um, and, and we're already seeing this, this next generation thinks that 30 hours a week is a long week of work. Uh, you know, that's working too hard. Um, so uh when that permeates and um, and people have so much extra time because of robots and everything, uh, what you're going to see is that there's going to be more festivals. There's going to be more events. There's going to be more need to socialize on a, a real basis um, and get real human contact that we're going to see more people doing things like that. So our business is going to uh, be in those spots. Now, are we going to be in liquor stores um, doing this? I don't know, but we're going to be in spots that where there are people um, and brands need to get um, their message out. And now some of that might be my my guys manning um, a whole bunch of virtual robots. So I have one employee that's doing a, um, a brand instead of doing in one store, he's now in 10 stores. Um, operating 10 different robots, essentially, which the robot's doing 90% of the work, but they're still doing the one-on-one connection with a human being because there's nothing that's going to be, storytelling is not going to be replaced by robots. Um, and, and that's ultimately what the brand ambassador world is about is sharing the story of a brand. And, uh, it's not just handing out the, um, the tasting it's, uh, it's that's not what sells and gets the extra sales. It's that genuine connection you have because the guy told you about uh, how the guy, uh, the wine was made at the vineyard where his family, his great grandparents got married and they bought the vineyard. And then, you know, that story makes you connect to wanting to buy that wine, no matter what it tastes like. <laughs> and, um, and that's what humans will always seek after. It's one of the basic needs of, uh, uh, of our, species is that connectiveness. And so I see, yeah, we'll have to evolve just like any other business, but um, we understand what the core reason behind what we do is. And it's about, it's about that. It's not about sending people out to hand out little cups of alcohol. And so that, that's what, uh, and because we understand that, I don't think we're going to have a problem surviving as the technology changes around this. I love that. That's awesome. Cool. Um, so that I, I want to hear your perspective on how, how you think Facebook and Meta is, is growing and, and that the social media platforms, um, just whatever that take, I don't know, I want you to kind of like take the lead on that one. But I'm, I'm interested in your perspective on, uh, I guess, the, the growth of Meta. So what I love about uh, both Meta and Tesla um, is that 
both of those guys are willing to jump out there before it's ready to go. Uh, so Tesla with the self-driving car, um, someone's got to push push us over the line of the self-driving car and be willing to take the um, the hits for the when it doesn't work um, and and it fails. And same with um, virtual reality. We all know, or in the tech world, we know that virtual reality is going to be a big thing, but somebody's got to make that first big leap and make that push and be the first player to entry. I don't know if that means that um, necessarily that either Tesla or Facebook will be the ones that make the the metaverse that everyone wants to be be in. Um, there's nothing protecting them um, to to keep that industry contained uh, within their own world. It, um, and first to market doesn't definitely in the technology world does not always uh, rarely actually means that they're going to be the ones that everyone um, goes with, but they are going to push that technology to the next level and, um, and, and be the pioneers that get us there. Um, so, is Facebook going to be around in 20 years in some form or fashion? Yeah. Um, it would be hard for them to lose enough money to be out of business in 20 years. Uh, it really would. Uh, but are they going to be the center of everything? I don't know. There might be another, uh, after all the mistakes they make, it'll be easy for someone to say, okay, this is what it's actually going to look like in the, in the real um, implementation so we don't have all that baggage. So we now can come in and um, a- and do it much cheaper than Meta and um, and provide a better product because uh, we didn't try to pioneer that industry. And uh, same with uh, self driving cars. I think that I think that's definitely going to happen to Tesla. Uh, personally, that's just my personal opinion. But um, I think um, that's. Uh, He's just pushing that uh, envelope, and that's going to be the catalyst that gets us all to um, taking on self-driving cars. Um, but um, and I think a lot of companies are sitting back and letting Tesla take that um, those first the first few decades of this, <laughs> a couple decades of this, until it becomes okay. The, they're not having any more problems. They're not getting uh, lawsuits every other week. So now we'll enter enter this and and then someone like toyota and honda and all them will just blow them out of the water and 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 it'll be everywhere yeah so i think that's uh, a, i think that's a pretty accurate perspective i mean you know it, i was you saying it out loud listening to it, it always like oh yeah well yeah that kind of makes sense um it's some somebody's gonna let it's cool that they are leading the industry but there's gonna be someone who's better bigger who's not gonna have uh as many of the somebody's already done all the work, the, all the front end work. So then now I can, I can take that um, now more completed product. And my starting line is much further than, than their starting line. They, they did amazing things um, not to take that away, but it's just, I'm going to be better because I have more time to improve off of this baseline. And, you know, and if I sat down and really thought about it, probably what would happen is Tesla uh, would push this and get the self-driving car. I mean, they you already look at what they did in the electric 
portion of it. They've already got all the other players to say, well, this is a no brainer. Let's all go electric. Um, now pushing them to the next level where they all say, let's go self-driving. Um, you know, they're, they're, the other companies are being more conservative, you know, with lane assist and a couple other features. Um, and, and, but they are being a lot more conservative than Tesla. And I think ultimately what will happen is Tesla will get to the point where there's nothing super unique about them though, as far as that they're not pushing any envelopes anymore and that they'll go back to being a high performance luxury type um, product. Um, Not that they're a cheap product now, but um, that that will be where they go back to and there'll be um, a, a brand that is, is there for, uh, a pure luxury standpoint, high high dollar end product, that or they'll be bought out by one of the other companies, um, and at the point where they uh, start to see diminishing returns from being the pioneer in this. Uh, but again, that's not happening tomorrow. That's yeah. just long term. <laughs> so, um, you mean we have it, it, it in a world that seems it's it's where it's so easy to be to have to look short term. Um, a constant reminder that, that all of this is long-term, right? Hopefully all the things that we're doing, they all have long-term effects and what those might look like. Um, and just thinking about them a little bit is, I think is, is a good thing. It's helpful. It's, it's fun. It's, um, we can never tell or know, know what's going to exactly happen, but we can have a pretty good understanding of where we're going with all these things. And, and the, the picture that you paint, I feel is much not much nicer, much kinder than I think what is typically talked about um, on, on like, I don't know, maybe on, on CNN or whatever news platform. I feel like if you, if you really talk to people who are in it, who are thinking about it, who are leading things, um, you get to take, you get to hear this really cool perspective on, on what a beautiful opportunity is being presented to us and what we're, what we're living in. And so I, I, Thank you for your time and thank you for your input. And I think I, I definitely want to do this again. Um, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to go here pretty soon. So before we get off, I always um, give someone the opportunity to have their own little monologue at the very end. Um, so I'm going to let you talk, you, you, whatever you want to leave people with. I mean, you, you've lived a, a quite quite a long and interesting life and um, you've done a lot of cool things. And so maybe like a lesson or, or something to somebody who's listening is, is kind of the idea, but you can kind of take it and, and run with it as you please. But once you finish, I'm going to go to stop the recording and I'll hang out with you after. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the th- ways we met was through dancing. Um, and I, I think back to uh, a dance lesson I was having uh, with a woman named Patty Vo, and she was teaching a class and she said something that uh, when I heard it, it just made me think this is the missing value and component of my business, of my life and everything. And it was this simple phrase she said, and she was talking to, uh, to us about when you're dancing uh, for those three minutes, you're dancing to a song, be an active participant, not a willing victim. Um, and uh, she said, you don't need to be looking off, thinking about who you're dancing with next. Just be active participant in what you're doing, not a willing victim in it. And I mean, it, it's one of the few times in my entire life that 
when I heard something or saw something that I had this great epiphany that it, it just opened up everything that um, I would opened up a lot of answers to a lot of things. It opened up to a problem I was having with it at the time in my company with employees and what we were trying, how to give the message to our employees about what we wanted from them. It opened to my customers at the time about what we wanted from them. We wanted customers that were engaged and were active participants in helping them succeed, not just being willing victims and, um, and le- giving us money to just, um, and just, solve the problems when they have problems, let us actively participate and, and do things. And definitely with our vendors, uh, you know, it answered so many issues in my company. And then I started applying it to my life is like, um, do I want to be an active participant in what I'm doing or just a willing victim? Um, you know, I go out dancing. Do I want to ask someone to dance or do I just want to sit back and watch? Um, I want to be an active participant. Um, you know, when I go out and I see someone sitting at uh, first Friday, do I just want to wave at them and say uh, hello as I'm walking by, or do I want to sit down and have a conversation with them, be an active participant? And so that would be the, what I I'd say is probably the, the biggest, most uh, profound lesson I think I've learned um, in recent years. Um, and, and it impacts every part of my life and it all came from a dance lesson. <laughs> Uh, that's what I'd leave the leave everyone with as being an active participant, not a willing victim. Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 